Welcome to Positive Adoption, where you can find adoption, foster care, and trauma-informed parenting all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker. But more than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos from hard places. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Positive Adoption, a coffee break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to Positive Adoption. And Sandra Flack is back with me. Hey there. Thanks for joining me again. Oh, thanks for having me. I love this collaboration time. Oh, it's been so fun. And we just record, we should have been recording because we just said some really, really good things. Hopefully we'll remember them when we get, get started. But we are talking about five things your adopted or foster child would like to tell you. And this week, our topic is, you are not responsible for the trauma that happened to me before I came into your family, but I will act like it. If you let guilt rule the home, we will both be miserable and neither of us will experience any healing. Now, that one is a really loaded one. And I think we moms have a lot of mom guilt for either things that happen to our kids before they came into our care or after they came into our care, our ignorance of those things and not understanding how to parent. And it can become such a load that it can backfire on us. And the way that it backfires on us is if we feel that burden of mom guilt, we will often begin to parent out of guilt and shame and not out of security and peace. And when we parent out of guilt and shame, we may be letting our kids do things that they don't need to do that's harmful to them. And I'm not talking about physically harmful. I'm talking about mentally harmful, where we're just let them do whatever they want, let them have whatever they want, instead of meeting their need for security. And that, you know, we've all heard it. I know, Sandra, you've heard it of these parents who will just like, We're just going to take all the kids to Disney World because they had such a hard life before they came here. Or we're going to just do these extravagant vacations because this child deserves to have some fun and then it backfires on them. But before we started actually recording, you were talking about some mom guilt for things that you didn't have any control over your um, eldest, the, the first child you adopted before she came to you. Do you want to address that? Yeah, so our, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Our first, uh, we had three biological children, and then um, in 1999, we opened our home to um, a, a young girl who was eight years old, relative, a distant cousin. Her mom had had passed, we believe, from cancer, um, and dad was never in the picture. He wasn't even in the state, and then she was being raised by an elderly, mentally unstable grandmother um, who I had grown up knowing all my life because her grandmother and my grandmother were sisters. 
Um, and after um, our daughter's mom had, had passed away, we were really trying to reach out and help grandma and granddaughter. Uh, but the more we kind of got involved with them, the more we realized this little girl is in a really, really bad place. And mm. um, long story short, it's in my memoir, but long story short, we got legal custody of her in a very miraculous series of events. Um, and then she lived with us for a number of years and then we did formally adopt her. Um, but because adoption wasn't on our radar, had no understanding of childhood trauma, mm. nothing. And I wouldn't have even went out and purchased the connected child had it been in, you know, had, had Dr. Purvis had written it by then. I, I didn't, we didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love Jane Schooler. She once said, we don't know what we don't know. Right. And we didn't know. But what we did know was, well, we have three biological children and we're raising them and we're doing a you know decent job at that. So we're just going to raise her and we're going to treat her like one of our own. And, and she's going to have all of the same um, right. privileges and opportunities and expectations and disciplines. And we're all going to live happily ever after. <laughs> and it didn't happen that way. As you can imagine. Um, And I just always saw her as being disobedient and rebellious. And like one of the things, you know, I know now is like, you know, when I would send her in her, she was very um, uh, uh, disorganized and and just messy. And her room was always a disaster. And if I sent her in her room to clean her room, you know, I would find her in there a little while later, sitting in the middle of the mess, reading a book, (laughs) you know, and just... And I'm, you know, and I always felt like she is disobeying me. She is not doing like, why aren't you? So it wasn't until many years later that we had adopted our four internationally. And then the youngest that I talk about all the time, um, his behaviors were so challenging. We knew we were not equipped to parent him. We had no tools for that. We had to go Hmm. get all of that training. And that's where I did beat the connected child. And eventually we, you know, we became, empowered to connect parent trainers, which is where I met you, Kathleen, mm-hmm. um, in the, in that journey of learning about trauma and about things like fetal alcohol syndrome, I began to look back and realize, uh, Oh, this first little girl who's now 30 years old, mm-hmm. she was a trauma kid. Yeah. And, and everything that I've researched and know about FAS, I suspect that played into the situation as well, because I have teenagers and now we all have teenagers who don't like to clean their room, but I know as part of my kid's diagnosis and it's even in their IEP, larger projects have to be broken down into very small steps. And we may have addressed this in one of our previous conversations where I can't tell my sons, go clean your room. I have to give them one small step at a time, bring out your dirty laundry, bring me your dirty laundry. Right. Okay, you've done that. Okay, bring me out the dirty dishes that are in. So one little step at a time. That's mm-hmm. what they need. And that's really what our daughter needed, but we had no clue. So I have lamented about, you know, if we were equipped with what we know now, back then, mm-hmm. I think the journey with her would have been so much easier. I mean, I even sit now because I'm homeschooling our 15-year-old and we're having such a great time. And I know what he's able to do and what he's challenged by. And I know how to approach all of these things. And when I was, we used to homeschool all of our other kids previously. And when I homeschooled our daughter, I used to like beat my head against the wall <laughs> because of yeah. all of these, and because I didn't know that she really had most likely a brain-based disability, but also she had trauma, which impacted 
her her brain and and her behavior. So, you know, I've had that guilt, but also she has extended us much grace because she's previewed my memoir, which isn't isn't released yet, but but should be uh, later this summer. Um, So I think that was very helpful because she got to understand us a little bit better and where we came from. Uh, I can't go back and redo it. All I can do is now apply what I now know. And even from some of our Empowered to Connect training, right? You know, saying yes, giving yeses, connecting is more important than correcting, right? So not that we don't correct, but we were so busy disciplining and correcting. We didn't really ever very successfully connect with her. So now we're working on connection and it's, it's so much better but it, it's, it's, you know, I just wish we had had that training back then for her, even though right. like I said, we wouldn't have known to go look for it. But it is why also, you know, these days I am an advocate for educating foster and adoptive parents and those who are potentially foster and right. adoptive parents about FASD, number one, and also about trauma, because we have to have the right tools going in because it, it affects it could be, we can cause more harm than we can cause good. You know, those good intentions live happily ever after. Um, It doesn't work that way if you don't have the right tools. Exactly. And I want to just touch on a couple of those things. When you said, you know, there's a, you know, there's a brain, brain, oh, I can talk, brain, brain based injury or trauma. I just want to just say for a minute, because I have heard from so many people, adults, including in my family, like, well, why can't they just do this anyway? Or they'll grow out of it or they'll get over it. You can't. Okay. Imagine if someone chopped off my hand. That's awful, but my hand is not going to grow back. And if you keep saying, use that hand, just will yourself to use that hand. You can do it. It's not going to happen. So we have to remember that there is an injury there. There's part of the brain that has been injured in utero for these children by alcohol that goes through the mother, through, you know, it's in the placenta and the child is fed that and it's causing damage and it's it's affecting, right. Alcohol is the most toxic substance. Um, And therefore our kids need, whether they're just trauma kids or trauma kids with an FAS, accommodations need to be made like you if you didn't if you were missing a hand things would have to be modified throughout your day and throughout your house right so that you do the daily things that you need to do but trauma and even things like FAS they're invisible disabilities our children can look very normal right so everybody thinks they should be able to do a b and c but they nest they it's not that they won't do them you know like the cleaning the room example um, it's that they can't. Right. And some things they can do very well because they have strengths and other things they just can't, even if it looks like we think they should be able to, their brain may not be able to do it. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, I think it was um, Ryan and Kayla that taught us to use this example. Like if you were in, maybe you're in church and you're in kids church and a, a child is wheeled in in a wheelchair everybody's going to make accommodations for that child. You're going to jump up and say, this child needs accommodations. But another child walks in right after that that has experienced trauma or has a capital letter syndrome, they look perfectly normal. 
and we need to start learning how to make accommodations for that child. Because what happens was the second thing I wanted to talk about is if we don't make accommodations in our mind first and reframe the way that we're thinking about that child, then we get stuck in a cycle of correct, correct, correct. And there's no connection. And that's when the child, you know, you're not responsible for the trauma that happened to that child before they came to you, but you're going to start feeling like you're responsible for it because you're constantly going to be in a tug of war. You're constantly going to be in a battle because in your mind, it's all about the behavior. If you would just behave or if you would just behave. And that that very famous little phrase, it's can't, not won't. Right. They cannot regulate. So as adults, it's our responsibility to learn how to connect with the child, to correct and connect. And like you said, with an adult child, you're not correcting them, but you can still keep working on that connection over and over and over again. So if you do have adult children, because Sandra and I both do have adult children who were adopted, I still am working on connection with them. I'm still thinking about this particular one connects better this way, or I haven't heard from this one for a little while, so... I need to reach out to him or, and this is kind of a victory story. My daughter, Amory, who is married and has four little girls, she and her husband always have movie, family movie night on Friday nights with pizza and sparkling water. And um, so she sent me a picture last night of all her little girls sitting, they have these little trays, they're sitting in front of the TV with their pizza, their little pillows. And there's my youngest son sitting on the sectional. She said, look who showed up for movie night. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he, he reached out. And so I said, well, how, how did he get there? And she said, he drove, he drove himself here. And for my son, my youngest son to make that family connection, to take time and say, I'm going to go see my sister my brother-in-law and my nieces and do something with them that too I was like on the verge of weeping loudly and wailing like that was so huge so if you're patient and if you keep doing the connecting because the other real danger is when your children become adults and they begin to realize the trauma that happened to them, like their their executive functions working a little better, their brains a little bit more adultish, and they're like, "Hey, all this junk happened to me." They can begin to get into a tug of war with you again if you're not connecting. Yeah, some it is, it is so important, and I have a I kind of have a neat little story about you know saying yes. And mm-hmm. connecting when our kids are adults. So the, you know, the daughter that I was sharing about earlier who came to us when she was little and we just had a difficult road with her and butted heads a lot. And, mm. you know, at the time, I think we were also much more punitive in our parenting. It was, you know, well, if you don't obey, you get this consequence and, right. you know, that kind of thing. And it was always a struggle. Um, she, she, um, you know, we always thought, well, when she, we're in trouble when she becomes a teenager because she's going to get really rebellious. And actually, through her teen years, she, she, you know, it was difficult, but she didn't get, you know, that classic teenage rebellion. Mm-hmm. She 
doing that kind of thing when she was like 20, 21, 22, 23. Yep. So, you know, she had moved out and she was, you know, it was just, you know, it was hard. And she would sometimes come to family things and sometimes, you know, most of the time not. So it was difficult. Like we had a strained relationship, but I've in, you know, during all that time is when my husband and I were getting all of this training on childhood trauma and FAS and all of that. So now, you know, now we know that we can reconnect with her and we can build that connection by saying yes, you know, giving those yeses Mm -hmm. um, and things like that. So, so she just got married this past October. Um, She got married on Halloween because that was very important to her and her husband. They love Halloween. Now, mind you, we were, you know, such a, a, um, conservative Christian family for so long. I mean, we're still, you know, I mean, I guess I would kind of still say we are, but we didn't do Halloween at mm-hmm. our house, like mm-hmm. ever. We didn't do that. Yep. It was a panic holiday. We did not do that. So not only was this wedding on Halloween, it was a theme wedding and it was all the nightmare before Christmas. Oh my goodness. So, cause I guess theme weddings are a thing. I yes. Know yes. So when I first heard this, I was like, Part of me was kind of like, you know, freaking out a little bit, but I knew, you know, that, and and I feel like it was also the Lord, like, okay, we love the guy that she was marrying. She's finally in a much better place than she'd ever been before. Um, Now she's 30. So some maturity has come in Mm -hmm. and um, we have a much better connection with her because now since, you know, she's in a better place, she comes around more, she and her husband, and it's just so much better all the way around. Um, So we just really realized, you know what, we have to say yes to her, you know, we're going to help pay for her wedding. Her dad is going to get now, of course, this is in the middle of COVID, so it wasn't like a gigantic wedding, but, you know, and it wasn't outdoors because it was October 31st, so it was a beautiful day, but um, but you know what? We just went with it. Like, she made, I mean, they did such an amazing job with the decorations and with, they made a lot of things themselves. I mean, it was, mm. you know, it was not anything that we were used to, but they did right. such a beautiful job with the whole thing that... Um, you know, like, in fact, so like they did a lot of theme music. So when the bridal party came in, it was to the theme of the monsters. Like you could, <laughs> and then when, and I didn't know this was going to happen because I kind of came in and sat down um, and, and it was, it was in, in the um, venue where they were having, they had the reception and the wedding in the same place. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it was a, a huge place. So our little bit of people were, we were legal, you know, with the capacity and whatnot, yes. everybody faced out, but then I sat down at the table and then when the doors opened for my daughter and her and my husband to come out, it was to the theme of that Trans-Siberian Orchestra, oh. um, you know, that, that yes. mm-hmm. you know, dun, 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 like it was like, <laughs> so, and so many of our family and friends had, again, it wasn't huge, but the immediate family and friends that were there were like, this is the best wedding we've ever been to. This is the most fun. Wow. And it was. Wow. And now we could have started off like, there is no way you're getting married on Halloween. And there is no right. way we're going to be nightmare before Christmas, anything. And like, we could have taken that high road, which maybe we would have taken 10, 15 yep. years ago. But we said yes. And we just loved on her and her husband. And it was amazing. And it was such a great time. And it, it went, oh, we got a lot of, you know, money in the bank as far as, you know, like, building connection with her. Yes. 
because of the yes. And we had an amazing day. Um, So it's not too late to say yes to our kids and to build those relationships, even if they've come through all of this trauma and relationships were strained and they're 30 years old. It isn't too late. These things still work. These tools still work. Right. And I, you know, and that was part of the, that point that I was making when your children become adults, they might kind of extend that they will not might, they will extend those boundaries and those lines and say, we're going to have this kind of wedding. Are you coming? And it's almost like, I know in the back of their mind is, I know you're going to reject me. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say yes, right. When you say yes, and, the, and then that's even, even, like you said, even more money in the bank as far as connection goes. That's an even stronger connection. So, and, you know, we have to, I don't know, I'm like you. We were very, we're very conservative Christians. We always have been. You know, once my parents became Christians, that's the way they were raised. And it's difficult sometimes to work out should we do this if this is okay and all that, you know, but as long as you are not doing anything immoral yeah, and you're not doing anything that you know that God would disapprove of, you've got a little bit of leeway and we have to take that leeway with our kids to show them. I mean, Jesus took so much leeway that he said, you know what? I'm coming down there. Yeah. Not only am I coming down there, but I'm going to become a human and I'm going to be hungry. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to get yelled at. I'm going to be rejected. And it's okay for us to do that for our kids as well to say, we love you this much because they don't understand that piece of paper that the judge gave us that said, okay, they are now part of your family. Like that's just a piece of paper to them. So I'm going to, I want to just have one more thing before we finish up. I know that your book is not out yet and you do not have a definite timeline of when it's coming out. You have a variable timeline. I understand that as an author, but I would like you to at least share kind of a synopsis about what your book is about as a teaser. So we can keep talking about this. Yeah, so the book, the title of the book is Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. Hmm. And it is the two, the first, I used to say half, but it's more like two thirds, is the memoir of our adoption journey, how all of our kids came into our family and, and what led us to adopt and what life was like after we adopted. And then the last third of the book is really about what I've learned about our spiritual adoption Mm, yeah, you know, that, that orphan spirit mindset, which, you know, we in the church, you know, we don't have to have been adopted or in foster care or orphaned ourselves, um, as some of our children have been, but we can, we can, we are children of God and we can still sometimes act like orphans and not act like members of God's family. So the last part of the book is about that. So it is, it will be released sometime this summer. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have the exact release date yet, but it'll be on, of course, my social media and our, and and there will be a website launch for sandraflack.com. That's not live yet either. Um, But all those things are coming. So if you, if you find me on social media at Sandra Flack um, or even also my um, ministry website, or my ministry uh, uh, social media, which is Justice for Orphan, 
Instagram and Facebook, you'll, you'll catch it. You'll be able to find it. All right. On. And I will share it too. I'll make sure that when all this, cause I'm really excited to read it. And just as a reminder, we've been talking about the book, five things, a tiny handbook for foster and adoptive families and churches who serve them. And you can get this for free on the whole house.org with a contact. You can just contact me or I will also share the link. And just as we were, I was saying in January that you could find it on trauma-informed parenting. That will be live at some time in the future. I've been working really hard on that website. Sandra and I were just having a conversation earlier about how some sometimes these things just don't work out when we want them to work out, but I'm working really hard on that and I'll keep sharing about it. You can go to trauma-informed parenting.com and it will just say coming soon but it is coming soon ish so thanks for joining us today and we will see you next week on positive adoption bye bye thanks for listening to positive adoption make sure you subscribe on thewholehouse.org to receive your gift of five things a tiny handbook for foster and adoptive families and receive a monthly newsletter plus updates when new books or courses are released. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, Spotify, or YouTube and leave a review so others can find positive adoption and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send an email to me at positiveadoption at gmail.com and follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Whole House and Twitter at Kath Guire. Thanks for listening to the show.